Good morning. It is Wednesday, May 6th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri. Before we dive in this morning, I want to offer a big thank you to everybody who donated to support Community Pulse and KOPN yesterday during Giving Tuesday Now. Your continued financial support is what makes community radio possible. KOPN is a free public service, available not just on the radio, but streaming online within arm's reach at your mobile device at most any moment, and will continue to be here day in and day out to help keep you informed, enlightened, and entertained on this journey. Your donations are always appreciated, and if you are so inclined to give at this time, you may do so at kopn.org or by calling 573-874-1139. As always on Community Pulse this morning, we're joined by Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, which airs later tonight and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on KOPN. And today, we'll be discussing the testing that's been happening at food processing plants in Missouri, as well as news of a positive coronavirus case in France in December, indicating that the virus had arrived in Europe months earlier than previously thought. And we'll also tackle the big topic uh, coming from an interesting article in The Atlantic about why news about the coronavirus can at times be so confusing. Got a lot to talk about this morning. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Yeah, we may not get to it. I think I was a little afraid this morning. I didn't have enough to talk about. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. um, so starting with uh, numbers, globally, 3.7 million documented cases with 268,000 deaths, 1.3 million people recovering. And the United States has 1.2 million cases with 72,000 deaths and 200,000 people recovering. Uh, Missouri has increased to 9,230 cases uh, with 411 deaths. Uh, the central Missouri area seems to be pretty stable. Boone County has 97 cases, Cole 52, Callaway 23. But up in the uh, St. Joseph area, the areas in Missouri around meat packing plants, meat processing plants, um, uh, are seem to be the places where we're noticing the increases, rapid increases in cases. And some of that is because there's rapid spread of the disease, and some of that is because we've noticed and we're now testing um, more people in those plants. So in the St. Joseph area, which I think is Buchanan County, um, my Missouri geography is getting better by the day, but it isn't great. Um, There is a Triumph Foods plant in St. Joseph's. And uh, by last week, they had noticed 46 cases. So this is sort of in the natural evolution of the disease where, you know, oh, some people were sick and maybe some of them should get tested. Oh, there were probably some people who weren't who were sick and didn't get tested. But they had identified 46 cases in their employees by last week. And so Monday, they did what they're calling comprehensive testing, um, in coordination with the health department. And so they say, their website says they have 2,900 employees, and then press reports were saying they tested 2,367 employees. So I don't know what happened to the other 500-plus people. Um, Anyway, uh, but I think they were trying to test everybody. Um, They had 422 positive tests from that uh, cluster testing, and all of those people had no symptoms. Or maybe I should say, none of those people had reported symptoms. So we don't know whether those people were about to develop symptoms, whether they had had symptoms and they were mild and they felt like they didn't quite count. Or, you know, many times people have reasons to not be honest about how they're feeling. 
Um, so, but what we're saying, what we're knowing is that. So then, this gets um, seems to. It's one of the things I loved about the Atlantic article is it was talking about how it is that this is sort of the perfect storm, perfect situation for people to begin to be fearful, to feel like that officials aren't telling the truth, that things are being hidden, that maybe there's a deeper strategy behind this and that it's not just an accident and that some things are actually being deliberately done. And one of the things I'm hearing people being confused by is that how could possibly people without symptoms be testing positive? And um, this is not unique to this disease. Meningococcal meningitis um, uh, colonizes many people without symptoms and only causes severe disease in a very small percentage of the people who actually get infected or colonized with it. And so, but we know that the people, we believe that the people who um, have the bacteria in their um, in their respiratory system can spread it to other people. So this is not unique to this virus that people can spread it without symptoms. It is a very concerning part of this virus, and we had hoped it wasn't true. Because like Ebola, which is this scary hemorrhagic fever that um, causes death in the majority of people who get it, um, it has been fairly easy to control. We've contained several outbreaks already. I'm not claiming any credit. We as humans have contained several outbreaks already, primarily because uh, people rapidly become uh, symptomatic. So there's very little asymptomatic spread. And if we can just identify the people with symptoms, we can control the disease. Mm -hmm. You know, I've also seen people take news of this uh, widespread um, reporting of asymptomatic symptoms as maybe good news and sort of saying um, that, oh, most people are asymptomatic. I'm not saying there, isn't some, there aren't some good parts about it, Tim. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, yes. So it's very concerning from a point of if you're the public health person who's trying to find the cases so you can stop the spread, asymptomatic spread is really concerning. If you're a person who gets the virus, asymptomatic is your best option. You know, you would like to not have any symptoms at all, that you would just, without you having to even think about it, your body would create antibodies, which we hope are going to, to uh, provide immunity, but we don't know yet. And this, again, is why I really like that Atlantic article that we'll, I'm sure you'll post um, so people can read it, that when someone who's supposed to know the answer says, we don't know, it sounds like, oh, they can't be an expert then. I'm not saying I'm an expert. The experts that I get the most confidence in are the ones who will say I don't know at the appropriate intervals. And we don't know whether antibodies confer immunity, but it seems like they confer some protection because we're using a convalescent plasma of a person who has already had the disease and has the antibodies to help people get better who are desperately sick. So that tells me that the antibodies are doing something and are probably making it less likely that a person is going to get infected mm-hmm. um, again. So um, we don't know for sure how much protection an antibody provides, but we believe that it provides some because we're not seeing people get sick over and over and over again. Most people are not. So I'm not saying it never happens. But so that... So I am delighted that we're doing the testing, that we now have a better idea of what's going on in these um, uh, workplaces where people work in really close quarters. 
And then those people often live in close quarters as well, and that's why community spread can happen pretty quickly. I'm really concerned, though, about the underfunding of public health departments. Missouri is, I think, 50th in the nation as far as our uh, per capita spending on public health. And um, folks who say, you know, the next step, so we've done these this big... Um, not very painful and not specific method of trying to prevent the spread, and that was by locking everything down and shutting everything down. And thank you to everybody who has stayed home. We are doing this together. Um, even though there are some people who are defiantly not doing it, we as a collective are doing it together, and it is really uh, um, uh, heartwarming to see. But that is a really painful, non-specific way to try to prevent the spread. The next thing we want to be able to do is this TTI, test, trace, and isolate. So we want to test as many people as we can. We want to um, trace the contact of the people who turn positive, and we want to isolate the people who are contacts. And that is a lot of work. It means a public health person talking to somebody for several hours, who have you, where have you been, who have you been with, how do we find those people, then finding those people, and then checking in with them every day. And their estimate is that we need 30 public health tracers for every 100,000 population. We don't have that in Missouri. And they probably likely do not have anywhere close to the number of people they need to trace those uh, 422 positive, new positives in Buchanan County. And this is a concern. So um, the public health folks have their work cut out for them. What I'm hearing from the Boone County Public Health Department is that they have had a, a, li- a list of physicians who are, for whatever reason, not very busy right now, um, like like I am not, um, offer to be contact tracers. I'm not sure physicians are the best people that do that, but we're probably better than an untrained person. And um, she's saying that they don't need that yet, um, that we have not very many cases in Boone County. So um, if you're thinking, oh, I could be a contact tracer, you might volunteer in Boone, uh, Buchanan County, but Boone County is not uh, asking for that right now. So, mm-hmm. And contact tracing, I imagine this is something that can be done remotely, right? It's mostly done on the phone and maybe through email, right? Um, I am guessing that a large amount of it is done remotely, but I don't know whether... um, I I am not a contact tracer, and I I haven't ever talked to one uh, Mm -hmm. specifically, so I don't don't want to speak positively about that, but I'm guessing that a fair amount of it can be done over that. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, we and I think that um, it looks like the... The number, the case numbers in um, Saline County and Montauk County are stable at this point. So I'm, I haven't, I didn't delve into exactly what's going on there um, in the last couple of days. Are you following that, Tim? Uh, I have not followed in the okay. last couple of days right. either, but we can maybe report on that tomorrow. Right, we can. So then the other thing I wanted to talk about is that there's this, um, an interesting uh, report uh, from France that a um, so if people remember the timeline in December, this was we thought this was a China problem, and that they're thinking that the first cases in France were in late January, and that those were related to international travel and actually specifically travel to Wuhan and Hubei province. So, but apparently they somebody decided I'm not sure whether this is a widespread thing, and they tested a bunch, and they only came up with one positive, but they tested 
some a sample that they still had stored from a person in the Paris area who had been hospitalized in um, uh, the 27th of December. And they had done a flu swab on that person, and that's the, we take the same sample in the same way with the same swab and use the same viral transport media. And then that is often frozen and stored. Um, I don't know why this was stored for this long, but they recently tested it and found out that that person was uh, COVID positive. And we're not sure this person had had no history of um, international travel, but his wife worked in a store that was close to the international airport. So um, that would mean that they had community spread um, in the middle of December in Paris, at least one amount of community spread. And I just really also want to caution people that there are a lot of people who believe that they had COVID-19 in central Missouri or in the Midwest in uh, December, January, or February. And uh, while I think that that is possible, I do not think it is common as the number of people I have heard on social media state with confidence that they're sure they had it. And it really doesn't matter a lot. I mean, I'm not going to try to tell people that they're wrong. I just want to make sure that people do not presume that they're immune until, one, they have an antibody test, and, two, we're all sure that antibodies confer immunity because we don't know that yet. Right. And just a a week or two ago, we heard about that earlier case um, in California. Right. There's another postmortem examination, and they you know, turns out it was there a month earlier than we thought, I think in January, if I remember right. Right. And, and we are always wanting to know who the patient zero is. And that is the person who first brought an illness to a country. Mm-hmm. And this person can't be patient zero, although I saw a headline saying maybe this is patient zero. Can't be because he didn't travel. So the patient zero is the person who traveled so they're looking for the person who traveled from, presumably, Wuhan into France and brought the first case. And since this person didn't travel, it can't be patient zero, but that's a, a, a nitpicky uh, response. Um, so then I wanted to, to spend just a little bit of time about this question that I have people asking me, like, how do I know who to trust? Like, I'm getting to the point where I don't even know who to listen to anymore. And um, I hear that uh, the president is going to suspend the uh, task force, and so we're going to see less of people like Dr. Briggs and Dr. Fauci, uh, perhaps, um, at least in that venue. And so I'm going to be looking for other people to look for, to talk to, I mean, to listen to. One is Dr. Amy Acton, A-C-T-O-N. She is the Director of Public Health in Ohio, and they have done a really, um, they have impressive numbers. And I think it's, I'm still trying to find exactly how to find her, but I think she does a report at every day at two o'clock and um, has a little bit of a cult following, including children who are dressing up like her and styling their hair in the way that she does. Oh, and, really? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and she is um, a person who's willing to be vulnerable, to be honest about what we don't know, to encourage people um, but is doing everything evidence-based. And I'm sure she has to be exhausted. But um, anyway, I'm taking some inspiration from that. And I'm also like looking, so my criteria for experts is there are people who will say they don't know. 
They will admit that nobody knows exactly what's going on with this virus, but they don't say, they, they don't speak with too much confidence. They have a little bit of confidence like, okay, well now science in other ways tells us about this. Um, and this article in the Atlantic goes through the things we do know. Like we do know a lot about the virus. Like we have, we've sequenced its genome. We've identified the proteins on the surface. We know that it has a lipid-soluble um, membrane so that soap works for it. There is a lot we do know, so, so I don't want anybody to presume that since we're saying we don't know often, because uh, that's what scientists like to do. We like to, we like to shine a light on what we don't know so that we can focus our next experiment on that. So that doesn't mean that we don't know anything. And that the, so SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus, COVID-19 is the name of the disease. And those two things are not the same thing, even though those words often get, get intervent, in, uh, uh, confused and used um, interchangeably when they're not. Um, the other thing I want to say is that people are often using the words isolation and quarantine in a very nonspecific way. And I do not want to, to try to enforce uh, uh, vocabulary rules. But I just want to be clear, when I use the word isolation, this is the recommendations we give to people who we know have the disease. So the isolation means that you would be confined in one room. You would use, a, preferably you would have a dedicated bathroom. And that food and beverages would be brought to your door and, and trash and dirty dishes would be removed from the door and other people would not come and go into that room. And that your assessments would be done, uh, people would, you know, you the the, the infected person would put on a mask. The, the person who was coming in to assess you would also wear a mask. That would be a, they would do as much social distancing as possible, make that interac interaction as brief as possible, and then they would leave. And, and isolation happens. Um, it, there's a particular time, so we want it at least seven days from the onset of the, the uh, symptoms and at least three to four days after the symptoms have resolved. And so many people are saying that they're isolating, <clears throat> and that's fine to say that. But just know that when a physician or a, or a health, public health professional uses that word, they mean something particularly specific. And that quarantine is what we do, uh, is the, the recommendations we make to people who have been exposed, but we don't believe have the infection. So they stay away from other people um, and sometimes families will decide, uh, households will decide to quarantine together if they've all had the same exposure. Um, but we're not recommending that people isolate with um, and, and continue to expose non-infected, non-exposed household members unless the household is very small and there's not any way to really stay away from each other. So quarantine is the recommendations we give to people who are not sick so one of, the, one of the times I just, like, I have a limited amount of bandwidth right now to read, and I do not read or listen to things that start off with, never in the history of humanity have we ever quarantined the well. The definition of the word quarantine is what we do, what the recommendations we make for people who are well, who have been exposed to the virus, or we believe are exposed to the virus. And that is, you know, for 14 days, because we believe that's well outside the limit of the incubation period. And the incubation period is the time from the, the moment you're exposed to the time you um, develop symptoms. And we think that's two to six days is the most common, um, but we think 14 days, if you stay away for 14 days, you, you know, are eliminating the m most common. The, you are eliminating the idea that you have developed a disease. Now, the problem is that um, 
if people are asymptomatic shedding. Um, so one of the things we're doing now is that at the end of quarantine, we're doing a, another test to make sure that they're not um, shedding virus in an asymptomatic way. So, um, so that was just some language stuff. I also, uh, th- there are, um, there's a lot of research right now that is being published or being a, um, released to the public on websites and various things before they are being peer-reviewed. And um, that is allowing the public to see a lot of the messiness of research and that some research actually ends up being really poor quality once we have people who do this for a living look at it and say, hey, why didn't you do it this way? So, um, so these are things that the messiness of science that most of us who are used to reading scientific literature is not shocked by and do not feel like that means we, there needs to be a conspiracy to have created whatever. Um, it's just the messiness of science. So I wanted to reassure folks that um, science is moving along um, in a way that is typical and that there's still a lot of unknowns, but there are many things we do know. Right. Well, we're we're about out of time yeah. for today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, I just want to say that I'm hoping tomorrow or later this week to be able to, to take up some legal actions that local businesses um, are doing and a move by the state legislature to eliminate the power of public health officials. So um, well, I'm going to find somebody who can talk knowledgeably about that. If somebody knows, if somebody wants to make a suggestion, um, we would welcome that to the same places that people are bringing, sending their questions. And can you tell us about tonight's episode of Your Health Matters? Uh, tonight's episode of Your Health Matters is uh, Dr. Chris Link talking about um, staying well in a uh, time of, of a virus. So he's going to talk about things like vitamin C and vitamin D and polyphenols and various things that we can do with our lives and how we can stay healthy. Wonderful. Well, that'll be later tonight at 6 p.m. Your Health Matters here on KOPN tonight and every Wednesday. Thank you so much, Dr. Alderman. Thank you. Bye. All righty. That is it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, you can find us here every weekday morning at 9 a.m., bringing you the local report and update on what's happening with the coronavirus outbreak here in mid-Missouri. If you happen to miss an episode, you can find us online at kopn.org, and we also try and post most of the episodes on our Facebook page. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next, we have a little bit of music, followed by an abridged version of background briefing, and then a new episode of Glocal News and Social Artistry with our host, Dick Dalton. So please stay tuned.